All right, good morning. I thought we would be snowed out, so I didn't prepare anything, so uh, just joking. Unfortunately for you, no, I'm kidding, this will be great. We have a great discussion ahead of us. It's in 1 Corinthians 9. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9, we will begin reading there in a few moments. And I just want to remind us that we, as we look at this letter, this is Paul's most difficult, I think, congregation. Um, he starts off, remember, in chapter three, saying, or chapter one, saying, "You all have fights and you all have these divisions, and, and, and you're, you know, arguing on who you arguing about who you follow." They they didn't even really acknowledge Paul necessarily to be their apostle at times. Uh, not only a few chapters later, chapter six or chapter five, Paul's saying, "Hey, that guy in your congregation who's like a leader, he shouldn't be sleeping with his stepmom. Like that's not good." Chapter 6, what does he say? Please don't go to prostitutes. This is not normal stuff, right? This is really extreme. And now in chapters 8 through 10, Paul's saying, don't worship idols. Like, stop worshiping idols, okay? That's not all right. So that's what we're dealing with with this, uh, this passage. In other words, Paul is engaging a messy congregation. And we're, we've titled the series, Church, a Mess Worth Making, because we're messy. We may not have those particular struggles. Maybe some of you do. Email me. We'd love to visit about those. But in general, our hearts are messy. And what we find is Paul showing us what it would look like to grasp the beauty and the freedom of the gospel. When I was in seminary, we were taught one way to preach was take a main point, or let's say you had three different points, which I often do. Each point should have an explanation, an illustration, and an application. Now, we try to do that, right? Well, chapter 8 is the explanation. Paul begins by saying, Okay, about this matter of food sacrifice to idols, and he kind of shifts the point, right? We talked about this last week. Are you using your freedom to love people? That's his explanation. Chapter 9 is his illustration. It's him saying, let me show you my life. Here's my biographical sketch. Here's how I did this among you. And then chapter 10, we'll look at next week, is his application. Here is the answer to your question, Corinthians. So that'll be where we really come into how to apply these things practically as far as the food part. Um, But of course, this sermon will have application, I hope. So now look at me with chapter 9. We'll read the whole chapter from 1 Corinthians. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends to a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does, it not, does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much? If we reap material things from you, if others share this rightful claim on you, do we not 
do we, excuse me, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. This is every pastor's dream passage, by the way. It's like, there you have it. Let's talk about that raise. Okay, sorry. Verse 15. But I have made no... Oh, this is where it gets bad for me. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for them, for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for his passion. We thank you for the way he used his freedom to preach the gospel purely. Where we are all inheritors of that message. Your spirit has opened our eyes, Father, if we are in you. And I pray this morning, as we look at this passage we will see freedom and not burden. We will see your gospel and not slavery. Only through your grace. Amen. Um, this idea of freedom, I think, is fairly popular. If I went around the room and asked you to define freedom, most of you would write things like this, right? Free to do what you choose. Right? I'm free to, to act in the way I see fit, right? I'm free to do what I want. You know, if you're a child, often you'll say, it's a free country. Yeah, I can do what I want. I, I listened to an author and recently purchased the book years ago. I listened to him talking about his book. It's called Being Consumed, and it's an ec- a book on economics. He's a Christian, and he says, really, our free economy and our free economics are based on a faulty view of freedom sometimes, that we really do have a consumerism mentality, where consumerism drives the market. There was a time where car makers would just make a car model and say, there's my car model, and eventually... Someone thought, you know, if we make a new model every year, 
even if things haven't necessarily improved that much, people will start to think, what? I need a new car. And it turns out the car makers who didn't do that failed. And it, we see that with the iPhone. The joke with the iPhone 7 is like, there's really nothing new, but I've got to have one. And so this author, he, he quotes Augustine, and he says, look, freedom, Augustine says this, is not being just freed from obligation. It's being freed to something. And for Augustine and for us as believers, it's being freed to God. And so the Corinthians, uh, in chapter 8, had taken actual freedoms that the gospel gave them. Remember all those quotes from last week? And they were using them to get what they wanted, which was what? Not necessarily to eat food sacrificed to idols. They weren't craving that type of meat necessarily. But it was to actually go to the social occasions and be part of the culture and be one of everybody else. And so they used the gospel to just to let them have those freedoms. And Paul doesn't come right out and say that's all wrong, and maybe it's not all wrong. But he does say, however, you need to make sure your freedom isn't just aimed at whatever you want. right? Make sure that you're not using your freedom just to go get anything you desire. Is your freedom driving you to Jesus? And that's really the goal this morning. Is that God has set us free in Jesus to freely pursue God's ends. Remember, Augustine is the, is, has the famous quote, Our hearts are restless, O God, until they find their rest in thee. You're restless if you're a consumer of theology or of anything for your own ends. But if your theology is driving you to Jesus, you'll find rest. So that's our goal. So we're going to look at the goal of freedom, the obstacle of freedom, and the means of freedom in this morning's discussion. So, first of all, the goal of freedom. Paul says, verse 1, 9, 1, am I not free? It's a rhetorical question. What's he doing there? He's letting, see, the Corinthians had this odd relationship with Paul. They loved his theology. He started the church, but he's been gone for some time. They've sort of moved beyond him, it would appear. right? Not all of them, but the, the, the church at large there in Corinth. And so Paul, while he was there, was a little bit odd. Paul was a tent maker. We've all heard, many of you have heard that. Um, remember how Greece hangs down in the Mediterranean and it's like an isthmus? Remember that? Well, there was something just north of Corinth called the Isthmian Games. And I'm not saying that with a lisp. Isthmian Games. And these are like the second most popular Olympic type games. So the Olympics were the most popular in that, in that era. But every two years there are these regional Isthmian Games. And Paul, most likely, scholars think, went there to make tents and observe these athletes and, and built tents for whomever, whether the people coming to watch or the people taking place um, part in these games. And so he worked for a living. And people, the, the Corinthians would have thought that was strange because most of the orators that came through received money for their speaking skills, right? And probably the better they were, the more they got. And so Paul, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit um, in the second point, but Paul uh, did not take that freedom, that, those rights, but he, to receive money, so he made these tents. So here's Paul living this kind of strange life, but his point to the Corinthians is this. I'm doing this out of my freedom. Okay? Why? Why? How does that make him free? How is he doing that out of his freedom? If you look at... Um, Verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights because I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of the ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, sorry, my phone went on 
uh, low battery. We'll see what happens. Not that it's even needed, right? I just use it for a timer. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting. Okay? Woe to me if I'm not preaching the gospel. And look at verse 18. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge. That was very important to Paul. Paul is saying, here in Corinth, if I show up and preach the correct words, which I'm, I'm constrained to do, I'm told to do, God's called me to do, that's my duty. That's what I have to do. That's you and your job. You show up, you're a parent. You do your job at work. You drive down the road a certain way. That's your calling. But Paul says, I've added to that. I've taken my freedom and decided to not only just do that, but to do it in such a way that you're going to actually, the Corinthians, are going to receive not only a free gospel, but you're going to receive it for free. He's like a prophet. He's demonstrating the freeness of the gospel. He's saying, I am so interested in reaching you that I'll do it in any means possible. And for you, Corinthians, it means not taking money. Does that make sense? He felt like to present a free gospel for money would be contradictory because of their weakness. So look at verse 20. He says, I become, well, actually, he says it at the end of the passage, I, do all, I become all things for all people. But in verse 20, he says, I become a Jew for Jews, right? And then he says, I become under the law for those under the law. In 21, but to those outside of the law, I put myself not under the law of, of the Old Testament, but under Christ's law, right? So I do that. And for weak, verse 22, I become weak that I might win the weak. So Paul is saying, the gospel has freed me in such a way that I would give up all these things to come serve you. Okay. Douglas Hyde is a very famous author. He wrote a book called Dedication and Leadership. Some of you may have heard of it. What made him so famous was he was a communist. And he was a communist in England, so England never became nationally communist. We know that. Uh, most of the time when you hear communism, you think of the governments, right? Like China or USSR at its height. Um, but for communism to begin, it's grassroots. It's people say, hey, they meet privately and they discuss it and they share their ideas. And it, and it kind of grows and it grows. And um, for, for Douglas Hyde, he found that communism spread because of their dedication to going into companies and to being the best worker, the best employee, right, to being the best leader in, in, their, in, their, in their field. They would then also not only do great at work, they would attract people through conversation, through inviting them into their homes. And they would, they would actually persuade people to become communists. And then he became a Christian in 1948. And as he became a Christian uh, and he joined the church, he, he realized, man, the church is missing it. If they would live like this, we would see this world transform because the gospel is the truth. Communism is broken, but the gospel is freeing. And so here's Douglas Hyde writing this book on dedication and leadership, and he's saying if we grasp that as our end point, that is our goal, it would change the way we did everything. So let me ask you, do you think that way? Are you communist but for Christ? Do you have little places in your home where you're, Okay, I'm going to go to that meeting, and I'm going to get to know them and invite them in. When you even talk like that, it makes you feel like you're part of a cult. But when Christ is freeing you, I think it might make you go, no, wait a minute. I really do want to reach everybody and tell them the good news of the gospel. And I would like to do it with dedication and focus 
as Paul is saying he does. All right, let's close. But that, that's the goal, isn't it? I hope it is. But there are obstacles. What are the obstacles? Point number two. Paul lists the obstacle, and it's maybe what you think, maybe it's not what you think. For Paul, seven times he uses a word in this passage that defines what's keeping other people, not Paul, from ex- using their freedoms well. And what is, or what is that obstacle? I would love to just have someone guess the answer. Does anyone want to venture a guess? I've never done that before in a sermon. You're welcome to shout. I hate that because when you say it wrong, I've got to be like friendly. <laughs> Good guess, brother. Okay, forget it. No one answered. I appreciate, Doug, that you almost answered. Hey, I'll bail him out. No, I'll go for it. Seven times he uses the word rights. He uses the word, oh, someone got it. I saw high fives in the back. Our Sunday school, our uh, women's teacher, all right. Cindy got one of our, okay, here we go. He says seven times, starting in verse 4, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Verse 5, do we, he's talking about him and Barnabas, not have the right to take along a believing right as do the other apostles and leaders? And then in verse 6, he says, Or is it only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working for a living? Right? And then verse 12, toward the bottom part of verse 12, But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Right? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, or these rights, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. What Paul is saying is you Corinthians have built your entire argument for food sacrifice to idols. Forget the content. Forget whether or not you should eat that food on exercising your rights. Justification. You're in Christ. You can do whatever you want. He said, I'm more free than you. If anyone gets this gospel, I get this gospel. I'm Paul. And I don't exercise those rights. I forego them. Rights become obstacles. Think about, for example, if you have a job, you work 8 to 5, you punch a card, and you work with the owner of the company, and it's 5 o'clock, what are you going to do? You're out. The owner of the company is going to stay. What are you doing? Why are you still here? It's 5 o'clock, let's go. Happy hour, whatever. Owner says, I've got to make a living. This is my baby. I love this thing. I care about this job. I'm going to stay for hours on end. Freedom doesn't always mean cutting out at five, right? People, you'll, people who are disciplined find freedom by not always exercising their rights. So, indeed, it is your right, Paul, to have a wife. He could. Indeed, it was his right to, to receive a payment. He could. And he makes the case. Why does he make the case? I'm not going to dig into the passages about the muzzling of the ox, but he's making the point that, first of all, he needs to let them understand, you know I can receive money. Like, it's okay. Just like you're arguing about food and idols, this is also okay. But here's me, Paul, not accepting that because of my freedom. Something's bigger. Something's compelling me. Probably one of the great, I think, one of the best illustrations of this, ironically, it's Apostle Paul, is in Acts 16. You might remember the story. He and Silas are in prison in Philippi, right? What do you want to do when you're in prison? What I want to do is get out. God provides an out. Earthquake, doors open, time to run. Let's go, Silas. Come on, guys. Let's hit the road. We're free. And there are other places where that happened. They, like an angel rescued Peter. He left jail. Well, here's Paul. The doors have opened. 
and they stay. And the jailer wakes up. Seeing the doors open, Paul probably hears him stirring. The jailer sees the doors open, knows, because you can't see the prisoners right now, sees the door open thinking, they're out, they've left. I've been asleep. I'm dead. I'm as good as dead. Picks up his sword to commit suicide. And Paul yells, stop! He could probably hear and it's in tune what the guy's doing. Um, or whatever the word would be. Insinuate what the guy might be doing. And he says, stop. And the prisoner, I mean, the jailer is shocked that the prisoners are still in the cell. And then he comes to Christ. He says, what do I have to do to believe that you would stay in jail when the doors have been opened and you could have fled for me, for my life? Paul did not use his rights to run. He lived on freedom, the freedom of winning that jailer to Christ, and he stayed. Are we living our freedom out that way? Do we see it that way? It's challenging. Uh, we had our Stump the Chump last Sunday. I hope you all come tonight. And what we gravitate to, and I don't know how to avoid it, is back to what are the things that we aren't allowed to do. Right? We're so focused on that. And I think Paul's message to us this morning is stop for a moment. Guess what? You can do those things. I did a lot of stuff with other people. There were times where he probably does receive money. right? Um, there are times when he did some of these things. He's, just with the Corinthians, he didn't do it. It's a choice, okay? So I want to look at, I want to transition into our final point by saying the means of freedom is recognizing that we have a choice. We sing this song from time to time, and I hope it begins to sink in. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Have you ever gone from doing something for out of duty or maybe not doing something because it feels like a duty to all of a sudden starting something because you're like, I have an option here. I actually have a choice. There's a book on um, procrastination. Uh, I'm still not finished. <laughs> you were waiting for it. And, but the, one of the points he makes is the way we speak to ourselves often will, will hinder us from doing the things we want to do. And one of the things, he, and I actually find this to be very helpful, is to say, I choose to not do that. And so, like, if I'm trying to eat better, I find myself saying, I can't have that right now. I can't have donuts. And then you just feel restricted and imprisoned. You know what? I actually can't have a donut. I'm opting not to right now. Kind of releases a little bit more freedom. I'm in charge. Aha! Now I will choose to have one. Um, but there is something about choice that comes in. Let's look at that in this passage. Uh, Paul, in verse 19, says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. This idea of being a servant, his body is his servant. And then in the end, verse uh, 27 says, But I, dis- I discipline my body. The actual Greek there is, I make my body into a slave. Right? And keep it under control. You remember Jesus when he has, on the night he was going to be betrayed, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, to that place where he prays so much that he sweats blood, and he asks God that maybe that cup would be passed from him, but he accepts the cup. Remember that story? That there, he has had some disciples that are going to remain on the outskirts of the area praying. Remember what he finds when he shows back to, up to them? They're asleep. And he's gracious. He says, you know, the spirit is willing. They're not evil. They're not mean. They don't hate me. But their flesh is weak. And so my question for us as we come to this 
final point about the means is are we focused on the means of freedom? Are we willing to discipline our bodies for freedom? Paul uses this example starting in 24 of the games. Remember, as I mentioned earlier, he had built tents for these games. He'd watch these athletes prepare. Uh, and and um, is it, I believe it's first. I wrote it down, for 2 Timothy 4.8, where Paul says, you know, uh, physical fitness is of use. It's of some use, right? For those of you that are like, I ah, don't waste your time, we're all dying. Physical fitness is of some use, but it doesn't compare to godliness, right? And so he goes into these, uh, these ideas where he says, you know, every athlete is, um, is going for a prize. They're, they're, they're working out. They run that they may win this prize, but it's simply a wreath. And these wreaths just perish and wither. Now, you might keep them on your mantle, but not because they look pretty or on your wall or wherever. Um, we've added gold to our trophies, but those wreaths wither and fade. And Paul is saying, but, but we run for an imperishable prize. And what's amazing is we get that prize in Christ simply by entering the race, by being involved in the race, by being called to Christ. But the question on Paul's mind is if you get the gospel and you've been set free from Jesus, then when you use all of your rights to sort of not run, is that freedom? That's the question he's really asking. In other words, how do you get to the freedom? We all sit, what do we do with our spare time? We sit around. I, I'm, this is me. This is not, you're feeling condemned. Don't be condemned. I sit around, especially in the 80s and the, or the 90s, watching what? Michael Jordan. I want to see somebody who has the freedom to like leap and appear to sprout wings and curl his back legs up and pull the ball back and like fly through the air, right? I loved Michael. I still love Michael Jordan. But I really loved him when he played basketball. People would walk up to Michael Jordan and say, uh, "I would love. I'd give anything to be you for a day." You know, wouldn't you? The, to walk into an arena and everybody's just cheering your name. They've come. From miles to watch you, to take the ball and be, no, I'm the best player that has ever lived, and probably that ever will live. Russell Westbrook, you're getting close. But, but you know, I can, I can do things with this ball and my body that nobody else can do. And just, the, you watch the highlight films, I highly recommend it on YouTube, where he kind of barely does that, and the guy just falls down, and he goes up and lays it up. He's just amazing. And his answer to those people who want to be him for one day, does anyone know? I think it was a commercial, too. Maybe I made that up. He said, no, you don't get to be me for one day. You have to be me for the entire span of my life. You had to be me when I was a child, and I had the posters maybe of Magic Johnson on the wall, and I'm, I'm running, and I'm, I'm getting up early, and I'm getting cut from a team, the infamous being cut from a team that everybody references that gets cut from a team at freshman year. The, the, the amount of energy he puts in, the amount of misses and problems he faces in his life and struggles outside the court, he's saying all of that is what leads to me being able to jump just a little bit better than everybody else. And so the question that Paul's asking us is, are we that in love with true freedom? Do you want your faith to actually soar? Are you interested in actually leaving the ground, spiritually speaking, and winning anything? Or are you using your theology to protect your crappy lifestyle? <laughs> I said it. We all struggle. Are we doing that? I don't know how to do verse 27 fully. We're going to actually cover some of these verses next week. So look, if you've been ignoring everything I said, 
maybe ignore this next bit or maybe read it. But there's a really hard part here, especially for a Calvinist. He says, I discipline my body and keep it under control. Verse 27. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Arminians love that passage. See, Paul thought he could lose his salvation. And I've not yet, I looked at every commentary, I've not yet seen a very amazing answer to come back for the Calvinists, other than no, he means he might lose his apostleship. Okay, what do we do with that passage? First of all, if you don't like what I say today, come back next week. We'll deal with it more when I've had more time to study. Um, But here's what Paul's doing. First of all, Paul, remember, is using his life as an illustration. Okay? And the illustration is Corinthians, who want to get away with things they kind of think probably aren't good, but the way they appease their conscience are through bad uses of theology. Okay? And Paul's like, that's cheating. See, you don't get disqualified because you didn't run great, right? You get disqualified because you inject a drug that makes you better than other people. You get disqualified because you cheat. You take the rules that you know, and you say, I'm going to change these rules up and do what I want to do to win and appear to win. Think Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? They, everybody's selling their land and giving the money, and the church is growing. Everyone goes, I want to be like Acts 2. And here's this couple, they're like, yeah, 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 let's sell our land and give it to, and they sell it for, say, $200,000, but they only give, like, 50000 to the church. But they say it like this, here's all the money we got from the sale, and then Peter's like, you just lied to the Holy Spirit, you're dead. Boom. I mean, Peter, and then the wife comes in a little bit later, not really, they didn't have cell phones or texting and Twitter, and she walks in, and, you know, Peter's like, are you going to lie also? You're dead too. Boom. There's your husband's body. It's already rolled up in the rug or whatever. The, the issue isn't don't hold back. That's not the point. Peter's point is quit acting one way when you really are another. Quit saying this is all the proceeds when really you know you have some back here. See, disqualification in Paul's mind was not struggling. Right? This is the apostle who wrote Romans 7. Who will rescue me from this body of death? I'm a sinner. I struggle. What I want to do, I do not do. And what I don't want to do, I do that very thing. I struggle. But who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 8, nothing can separate me from the love of God. So is that apostle struggling with assurance? Not at all. He is struggling with people who take the beauty of the gospel and cheapen it and cheat by saying, I can do whatever I want, and I can live however I want because I'm, you know, I'm saved, and I don't have to, it doesn't even matter. Paul says, you don't have a clue about the gospel. When the gospel works in your life, it will transform you in such a way that you will actually be thinking about godliness and holiness. Now, does that feel like legalism? See, sometimes when a pastor says things like that, I think I fear legalism because I don't want people to accuse me of that. Um, I'm going to, you know, and there's a, as you, some of you know, I do CrossFit. Uh, you can, they're going to sh- have their heads, Mark and Rhonda. Own Red Dirt CrossFit. I highly recommend you go in for a consultation. It's free. Okay. But there's a group of people on Facebook that are pastor, PCA pastors, where Shane's part of this too. And it's weird because we only talk about CrossFit. 
Like when that group's talking, it's not about how's your faith, it's just CrossFit. And, and what's funny, what makes CrossFit kind of unique, and I really do mean it's very, very helpful, is everything you do, you measure. So like if I go out and run a 400, I come in, like this is not a real event, but let's call that an event. We do that for a warm-up. But uh, you write down the time, right? It took me two minutes and 20 seconds. And then next time, what do you try to do? I want to beat that. And you start trying to figure out, maybe if I run like this, if I cut that corner, if I just get a little bit faster, if I eat better. And everything you do, you're trying to get better and better and better. And I remember sitting on, the, I don't know, I was sitting on the rower one day. This is like I added, yeah, I went through this phase where I'm like, I'm going to add rowing to the workouts. I want to get healthier than I'm getting from just the normal workouts. Sorry. They suggested it. So I get on the rower, I'm rowing, and I remember going, I don't remember ever doing this with the Bible. <laughs> like, I don't remember the PCA guys going, we're bragging about our times at CrossFit, but no one's saying, man, I just read Romans again, and I just, golly, the scales fell off. I, I became convicted. Physical fitness is of some value. Measure, go to CrossFit, lose your weight, be in shape. But when it comes to my godliness, I, have, I don't have anything I record. Yeah? How many of you have gone through Dave Ramsey? I know half of you have. What do you do? You get crazy things. Cutting cards and canceling this and never eating out. Crazy things. Why? Because you have a goal. CrossFit, you have a goal. Diet's goal. Christianity, eh, you know, Jesus loves you. Just kind of try not to murder anybody. <laughs> what happened? The gospel compelled Paul to become all things to all people. This is what's key. Are, are, you, is, are your rights freeing you? Are the things you look to as your rights freedom? Can you do a thing with this group? And then it doesn't, he's not being a hypocrite, but then go over here and equally say, I don't need that. I don't have to have that over here. I, want to, I love these people. Can you be around all types of people? Do you care about their salvation or their discipleship? Is that even on your mind? Parents, this will be the only thing I'll say that's practical for this morning. I, know I don't get practical near enough. Are we all things to all people, to our children? So I, this is hard. My kids sit here while I preach, three of them now. I used to just two. Now it's like two and a half. Meredith Keller sometimes, sometimes with my kids. But I, this is a real, almost a confession. I often, probably most of the time, give the law. I give, stop doing that. Get better. Improve. And I, I realize, I don't really say, Jesus loves you. Sorry, I didn't expect that. And my fear is that I'm not preaching the gospel. I'm so nervous about them looking the part, improving being educated, being successful, not being typical. I'm scared to just go, do you know that your Heavenly Father loves you more than we ever will, more than we can? I really apologize if this makes you uncomfortable. But I hope we hear that message from Paul, that when we go around just using our theology to beat people up and to protect ourselves, we have no idea that our Heavenly Father loves us and cherishes us. And that's why we're so stuck. In our, theology, in our walks with Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we just need to believe that you love us. That this theology is not a metaphor. It's not a, a formula. It's not a, 
a bumper sticker, something we put on our header as we write a letter. It's the salvation of our very souls that says our Heavenly Father cherishes us. You've sent your spirit into our lives. And for Paul, it was so compelling that he went from being a Pharisee who probably was paid to do what he did to being a man who would go into the Gentile regions and live like a complete Gentile, which was so crazy for him. Laboring to make tents and do other things, Lord, to serve the people so they may hear a pure gospel. Teach us to do that for our children, to our neighbors, to our wives and our husbands and our friends and our roommates, our bosses, our co-workers, the people who work for us. Let us be the image of you, Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.